0: Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It is Monday, October 25th, 2010, and we're sure glad you've joined us. And Jim Burke is here. Jim, thanks for coming.
1: Very nice to be here.
0: Well, it's really nice to have you here. This is a hugely selfish activity for me because I'm dying to pick your brain about English companion companioning. So, I'm looking forward a lot to the conversation. The Future of Education series is sponsored by my employer, Illuminate, now Blackboard Collaborate, since they were acquired by Blackboard uh, a couple of months ago. The project I work on is called Learn Central. It's a social network for educators with Illuminate baked in. I hope you'll come and use it. It is free and hopefully it's helpful. This month's uh, future education sessions are sponsored in part by Redo from Microsoft. They're contributing to my book uh, fund, and I really appreciate it. So thanks to Microsoft, Bing, and Redo. The Global Education Conference, a free five-day event coming up in November. This is really going to be a blast. If I can survive, till Looks like we'll have over 350 sessions from all over the world about globally connecting uh, students and teachers. Uh, it is free. We're still accepting proposals, and the event is about participation. So if you're interested in presenting, please do go to globaleducationconference.com. If you're interested in watching, you'll have lots to watch during that week. Coming up on the future of education tomorrow, Diane Ravitch talks about her book, The Death and Life of the Great American School System. should be really fun to have her on the show, but looking forward to that. Clarence Fisher on Thursday uh, will also be a great show. Next week, Vicky Bellis will talk about her movie, Race to Nowhere, which isn't getting nearly the publicity as Waiting for Superman, but I think is um, just as important. Stephen Farr talks about Teach for America. Lots more coming up. You'll see we've got the Week of Global EdCon in there. And, um, and lots of fun. Hopefully, something you care about in the future. If you've missed a the show, they're all recorded. They are at futureeducation. dot com, and you can listen to the recordings. Kind of stunning to think about how many we've done and what great wisdom is there. Uh, they are available in an MP three podcast form or full minute recordings. So hopefully, you'll find something there as well that will be of value. If this is your first time at Illuminate, it is a participative environment. So we hope that you'll use the tools here to communicate and collaborate. It can be a little bit overwhelming if you haven't been in here before. I recommend that you go first up to View, in the menu View Layouts, and click on the Wide Layout. It makes it a little bit easier to see the chat. You'll see at the bottom of the participant window you have ways to click on the smiley face or clap a hand or give a confused look, or even a thumbs down, we rarely get those, would would anticipate getting them for me rather than for Jim tonight. If you want to raise your hand to ask a question, you do so by clicking the larger icon, the hand with the green up arrow, that lets us know you want to take the mic. But before you do that, make sure you've gone up to Tools and Audio and checked your uh setup, the Audio Setup Wizard, to make sure your microphone is working. You'll also have a chance to put questions in the chat. The chat is really a really fun area. It's actually a place where we gather lots of good resources uh, and links. Uh, It does help to keep on topic in that chat because uh, Jim will be seeing that as well and it can be uh, distracting if it's not related to the session tonight. Uh, Do know that even though there's a drop-down box that allows you to send a private message in the chat, Jim and I as moderators do see all of those messages. So we're gonna give you your first chance to participate now. To the left of the map, you should see a wand with a red star at the end. If you click on that and then click on the map, He'll let us know where you're participating from. You can also shout out in the chat if you're somewhere interesting where the temperature is different or the weather is weird. It's always fun to hear. <laughs> All of the giants, <laughs> of course. And wherever you're participating from or if you're listening to the recording, we are sure glad to have you with us. So, Jim, again, I you know, I feel I need to apologize a little because this is a session that I really expect to be to my great benefit, but you are the creator of English Companion Ning, terrific Ning network. I want to talk about that tonight. But I thought before we did so, it would be really helpful to have you give a little bit of an outline of your own personal career, Um, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about some of the things you're passionate about outside of uh, social networking.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I uh, actually came to teaching English through special ed, uh, of all things. I got a degree in psychology, one of the, the big, dark secrets that we can... Uh, I'll enjoy this evening is the fact that I I don't actually have a degree in English, um, which somehow seems to make me eminently qualified to teach it. Um, And uh, and I I went to the Peace Corps and taught Special Ed over there in North Africa. And after hanging out over there for a couple of years, I came back and uh, was really ready to to start teaching something different. And uh, and so I I went through the, the credential program at San Francisco State and started teaching English in 19. Actually, you know, I started my student teaching the week Salman Rushdie was was uh, went into hiding. So I always kind of had a special bond with Salman Rushdie for a while. Um, so I've been teaching since 1989 out here in the Bay Area in California uh, at Castro Valley first for a couple of years, where I taught. Uh, with a wonderful department, and then after three years, after the bridge that I had to cross broke from the Loma Prieta earthquake, uh, I thought it would be better to get home, closer to home in San Francisco. So I transferred to a school in Burlingame, which is right by the San Francisco airport, and I have been there ever since. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, when you look at, at how our life passes. Uh, in unexpected ways because when I was 14 and I, I was a very poor student in school, um, but I was one of the better tennis players in the state. And uh, ironically, I used to come down and play the national hardcore championships at Burlingame. And uh, my mother parked the car right outside of what now is my classroom. And uh, it's just one of those strange things that As you told me that I was going to grow up and become an English teacher and spend my adult life in this high school uh, as an English teacher and that I would write books, I think nothing in the world would have seemed more absurd. Uh, So I think it's, it's interesting how our life plays out in these different ways.
0: Jim, I had really good intentions of spending a couple of hours with your big idea book today. Uh, and as luck would have it, um, something came up that precluded me from doing so. But um, I got enough into it to have felt like I, there was a—I uh, had a great appreciation for you as a teacher. Do you want to talk about the things that you really care about in terms of just teaching?
1: Yeah, I—I um, I, I think that uh, right now, in particular, I, I think that. Uh, What I'm particularly passionate about, uh, in light of a lot of the developments in education, um, has to do with organizing our class around meaningful questions. And uh, I I think we're at this time, and I certainly see this in my own district, where uh, some people, often administrators, want to um, kind of be guided by fear and scores and things like that. And so they they tend to want to make decisions that uh, sort of threaten the, the reason in, in many respects for, for so much of, of what brought us into English, which are the conversations and the ideas that go along with the literature uh, and kind of reduce it down to the skills. And so so the, the book, What's the Big Idea, it, You know, fundamental to that book is the idea of taking all the skills uh, and folding those into uh, kind of meaningful conversations. I, I love Arthur Appleby's book, Curriculum is Conversation. and uh, and examining those, teaching those skills within the context of meaningful conversations about the books uh, that the kids are reading. And uh, that really, I think, has captured uh, a great deal of my own experience uh, as a teacher, but I think it also is perhaps the kind of thing that I would have responded to well as a student as well.
0: Since the interview series is called The Future of Education, uh, if you were, you know, if, if you were being asked to look at sort of policy directions related to your core beliefs as an educator uh, around critical questions and conversations. Are there implications for larger educational policy and, and sort of how do you react to the kinds of, um, what would you like to see happening now in education rather than what, what you
1: feel is happening? Well, one, one thing is a, a, maybe kind of a, a basic idea, but it never seems to kind of get onto the table. Is what, I, what I notice, whether it's with the, the core standards. Uh, or whether it's with you know big you know all-day meetings in my district about these these issues is that everybody really focuses a lot on the what you know they want to have big conversations about what parts of grammar or which books we should teach or this or sort of that or the other and that's all that's all you know important but it never really results in uh, in the kind of change uh, of how we teach things and 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 so in a sense we end up kind of being at the same place uh, in, in so much of this. And so when you look at uh, the direction that a lot of the conversation is going about teaching, uh, I think you have to ask yourself is it going in the direction that will not only uh, engage minds but, uh, but develop skills that we need. I, I see my, my good friend Carol Jago. Uh, just joined in, and uh, one of the one of the sayings that Carol has that I've always really loved is that we have to help students make a living as well as make a life, and I think that that is uh, a very a very important part of our tradition. But I don't see it very uh, always very effectively represented at the table. It's very nicely represented if Carol's at the table um, as the president of NCTE and a lot of the other stuff that she does. But uh, otherwise, I often feel like the people that are in danger of making the decisions are more driven by, um, I don't know, the, the safe results of test scores that would somehow imply that we're making a bigger difference. Um, and and just as a quick follow-up, I, I think the, the role of conversations taking place um, between classes and between students uh, across time through things even like Illuminate. You know, I, I find myself looking for more and more ways to integrate
0: Uh, online
1: conversations in one form or another into my classes and, uh, you know, the more you see the way kids can engage at that and and sometimes have more time to process things, the more value you realize there is for that kind of a conversation. So we've had some pretty progressive or,
0: um, you know, uh, a diversity of views of people in coming to Future of Education uh, for the interview series. Um, one of the themes that seems to have evolved a little is that the kind of measuring that's taking place or the the interest in depending on that measuring um, almost feels like it's a way of maintaining control are, Is there a big story here I mean are, are, are we are we actually looking at a larger story about um, the, institute, the educational institutions losing control of the, of the learning environment
1: well, I'll answer it one way that, that maybe is, is a different way than you'd expect it. I've got this. I've got one uh, idea in my mind uh, of, of somewhat of a dystopian novel, and it amounts to uh, all the kids waking up one day and finding a package on their door, and in the and in the drawer in the package is essentially a, a government-issued laptop, uh, and that you would have uh, essentially, you know, sort of. The nation's English teacher, or the nation's ninth-grade English teacher, and uh, and when you start thinking about uh, the national conversation and um, and the ways in which people want to control education, sometimes I, I think that the ways in which people want to try to control it um, may may well hasten some of the 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 exodus of some people from the system. You know, as, as BYU and, and a wider range of uh, institutions come online, um, and uh, and more and more controls, uh, more and more options are available for students to to get course credit outside of schools. Um, so this idea of, of online education, I do not think, is a replacement for um, you know being in the classroom with real life people. I mean, my classroom this morning was great, and never could have taken place online. But um, but I. Uh, I guess I, I worry sometimes about uh, the decisions in those efforts to to exert control um, in the name of trying to improve education. Kind of kind of driving people out of the market because what you know what but you generally see is you know sort of a, a growing demand for people to be able to get their uh, experiences, whether they're education or anything else, uh, in whatever form and medium that they want. Um, you know, it's a TiVo world. People want to be able to kind of do things when they want to do them.
0: It's been really interesting to kind of play with these different ideas, and um, you know, I think that's been a theme that's uh, uh, been around through the discussions is this whole idea of um, uh, the more tightly you try and control, maybe the, the more you get the opposite of what you're looking for. Um, I'm also kind of curious as to the degree to which our, we've talked in, in the sessions here about sort of our stories of education and the desire that we have now to kind of rebuild a story that really makes sense for teaching and learning. So uh, I, I'd like to shift toward the social networking piece because I'm, I'm curious as to how that plays in here. Um, and because the network has, you have to be a member of the network to actually move around inside of it, I'm going to go ahead and share my desktop where I'm signed in, so people can actually see the English oh, okay. companion name. Yeah. And would you just tell us a little bit about how the network started um, and, and what got you to, I'm going to pull up the members page here. I, mean, I think you're at 22,000 members now.
1: Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's actually a really nice time to talk about it because we're coming up on—I uh, think it's December eighth—is that would be the two-year anniversary, and uh, and it was at NCTE, um, you know, well, almost two years ago. Uh, NCTE is coming up. It was at NCTE that I noticed how few uh, new young English teachers were uh, were attending, and and how few of those who even attended were. members of NCTE were reading the journals. And, uh, you know, I began to realize the extent to which uh, NCTE as an organization and the journals and the relationships from, uh, you know, the conferences and whatnot had fundamentally shaped me. And uh, the idea that uh, a lot of the young teachers would simply be excluding themselves from that conversation Whether it was because of the cost of attending or or joining or whatever, uh, was was really uh, troubling to me. And so, the original idea, frankly, was um, to create something that was just for uh, new and younger teachers. And so I went home from NCTE, and I was quite literally grading papers uh, after I got back. And I thought, you know, I just want to try to figure out something to do for these uh, for these young teachers. And I thought. And I I'd, I'd never heard of the Ning until Kylie Veers set up a Ning for uh for NCTE that year. And, uh, and so I thought, oh that Ning thing, maybe I could do that, because it was that was pretty easy to, to create and at that time it was free. And I literally in about five, ten minutes, because it's all just sort of drag and drop, I went on to Ning, created an account, set up uh you know English companion Ning and the idea was to you know, create a space for new teachers. Um, and then I made, a, I made a very crucial decision, I think, early on, which was to send to people like Carol Jago, who kind of come along with their own network as a writing project director or a literature project director, and I said, hey, I set up this site, you know, let, let people know about it, and, um, and then I went back to grading papers, and when I got home from work the next day, there were 100 people that had already joined, and you know the first day I realized you know going back to kind of that theme of control that you you can't really you can't tell the internet what it wants to do or what it wants to be you know I wanted it to be for new teachers and uh and here's you know a, a thirty year teach- thirty year librarian from New Zealand wanting to join and you know and so right away, I kind of find myself thinking like, well, why wouldn't I uh you know want a, a librarian from new zealand uh and so in a way that I had never really had cause to appreciate uh I very quickly became. Aware of what the World Wide Web means, so
0: yeah. Uh, so that was kind of the genesis. Paul's calling out your quote. We can't tell the web what we want it to be. I think for those of us who've participated in the building of these kind of social tools in some area, you do feel like the the pyramid gets inverted, and very much you're starting with the personal and allowing people to determine where the network goes rather than kind of mandating. And I'm often approached by people who have very strong ideas about something they want to see happen in their institution. And that's that's sometimes the hardest message to convey.
1: It is. I'm I'm reminded a little bit of a quote from uh, Faulkner, you know, who, when when he was asked about, you know, his stories, he said, uh, you know, whether he planned them, he said uh, he always had ideas. But then once he started, uh, once the story got going, he found him, he felt like he was just a reporter chasing after the characters with a notepad to write down what they did. Um, and I think uh, you know that that's often the way creating websites uh, like the Ning uh, go as well uh so it so it very quickly you know mean within a week uh, took off and just began to include uh, you know all sorts of other people at which point uh, I think uh, I kind of quickly began to realize that it was going was going to do something that i hadn't necessarily intended uh, and then you kind of find yourself in conversation with others uh, in trying to understand what they want and the, I spent a great deal of time uh, on that tagline where English teachers go to help each other uh, I spent a lot of time on that trying to capture um, kind of the, the the core values of it and uh, and I think that has proved to be a, a really a really definitive um, action you know when you when you try to figure out what your core values are I listened recently to the book Delivering Happiness by, by Tony Shea, the guy that founded um, Zappos Shoe Company, and he was talking about you know that concept of core values and the extent to which you can figure out kind of who you are and what you're trying to be and, and really stay true to that. And I think that the members of the Ning have just done a remarkable job of really honoring that um, that, that value of just coming there to help each other. So there's
0: a, there's a note in here from Jeanette about your guidance of the NING, and I think in one interview you mentioned specifically sort of the tone or tenor of the network. And again, those of us who've created large NING networks have, have experienced this, although I didn't know, I couldn't tell from your the interview you did with NING whether or not you went through the same thing I did, but I went through several months at Classroom 2.0 of having to make specific private comments to people to encourage them to be more... Welcoming to beginners and more thoughtful. Did you experience that at all? I mean, it felt like there was a group of people who came in who really uh, brought with them the sort of the acerbic nature of blogging, and I had to help tone
1: that down. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I, I have had, um, I, I would say, in, in nearly two years. Uh, and if somebody out there, you know, has a different take on it than I than I do, then, then you know, chime in. But uh, We've relatively gone flame-free. There, there, there are a few people whose opinions are more, uh, shall we say, strong than others. Um, but I, but I don't think people tend to mistake their passions for, um, for, for some sort of fierce judgment. And I think you know, uh, as, as Carol is saying there, uh, Carol Jago is saying the teachers are more naturally civil and nurturing. I think. You know, particularly in you know, because our network is devoted to English teachers, I think the nature of uh, of the way we work with people and and, and with um, with you know in the classroom, you know, it's our nature to to facilitate discussions.
0: So one of the early um, um, ne- the the networks that were pre-Ning, one of the um, ways in which they help to make people feel like the networks were of value, where they provided an ability to be anonymous. So if you were working in a, in a school, you could actually ask questions about how to deal with a difficult situation, either with a student or with an administrator or another teacher, and not have to worry about compromising yourself by being, visi- by being publicly visible as you ask that question. NING pretty much doesn't allow that. So uh, by requiring that someone be a member to see the site, is that in part to address that, or do you think that those days are just gone where you can be anonymous? And and are we have we lost something because of that?
1: I don't think I think people can be as anonymous as they want on there. I mean I don't know, uh, you know Paul Hankins, you know real name could be you know Barbara for all I know. What's the saying on the internet? Nobody knows you're a dog. Um, so. I think that there I mean there are people on there like Clix uh who has a, a name like that, you know, C L I X and, and she's just a wonderful member of our community, but I, I have no idea what her name is. Um, a few people have screen names that look like regular names and then we've had uh kind of back room conversations and they'll tell me that their real name is, is you know, Elaine or something like that. Um and I think that I think people in part know... The level of risks that are involved with their own communities, um, so I you know there have been uh, a few situations where people have have gotten uh, in trouble that uh, for for saying things online, and I think that that is um, you know something that we're all kind of learning uh, to realize is the extent to which uh, even if it seems like a fairly sheltered space uh, you know somebody can sign up with whatever name they want I'm not you know checking their IDs the main reason why people have to, to join actually is just for the sheer um, efficiency of uh, cutting down on the spam uh, we found that by uh, requiring that that we can uh, block a lot of the spam uh, up front as people are trying to get in and uh, and, and that Saves us a lot of time, so that was kind of, that was really the, the main the main reason for doing that.
0: So you and I could probably spend hours talking about managing spam, uh, um, membership joins. Um, you solved that by creating a group of people to help you um, approve membership. Is that correct?
1: It is. That was you know that was a really uh, there's a, a wonderful. Spirit of people on there in terms of their willingness to help uh there has you know evolved uh, which we can talk more about if you'd like, but there's kind of a, a wonderful group of people that have evolved into um, the professional development wing of of the outfit, and that was a completely grassroots effort. I know somebody uh earlier on was was making some comment about uh the extent to which I had uh Kind of giving it over to people to, to run and um, and that uh, I guess Jeanette was talking about uh, my my guidance and letting people work it together. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I go to work every day as a teacher, uh, and I come home with papers, and I'm surrounded by them right now. And uh, you know, I try to write these books, and if you know, aside from the people that are helping to approve things, um, and, and you know, a few other little odd jobs here and there in the PD group. Uh, you know it 's kind of a one man shop and uh, and if it required anything more then i i really couldn't uh, i couldn 't keep doing it so it's I think in a way the conditions of of my own constraints have forced us all uh, to really work together to just kind of make this thing you know, very, very hands-off, and for the most part it really it really works very well. I, I do not have uh, a lot of time spent, you know, going into back rooms and talking to people about their attitude and their tone or things like that.
0: That's interesting. Classroom 2.0 started in February of 2007, so I don't know if it's the difference in the timing or just maybe a different audience. But uh, Classroom 2.0 drew largely from an early core group of edu-bloggers who were actively blogging. And there was a sort of competitive, oftentimes, almost shouting aspect to that conversation. And I think maybe that made it unique, bringing it into the social network. I felt like social networking actually really helped um, make the discussion more thoughtful. So Classroom 2.0, English companioning. Um, is there a much broader opportunity here? I uh, mean, are we are we very much still at the beginning of this idea of using social networking for professional development? And if you were going to forecast over the next five years, what what do you think are the possibilities that aren't being fully
1: utilized right now, and where could this go? Well, I think I think it's a big uh, the big shift that I think. We don't know what it'll be, but that, that really uh, we're on the cusp of is simply an entire generation that will grow up completely immersed in and comfortable with this. I mean, I had to learn about it. I, you know, I've been online, you know, for a long time now at this point, but but I'm still uh, not, you know, uh, I wasn't born into it, and so now you have kids who are coming of age in an era, you know, the the Gen Ys, the Millennials, the the Net Geners, as Don Tapscott calls them, uh, and they just think in those media. You know, I've got my AP seniors right now. I told them that they had to set up uh, discussion groups online for for this work they're doing with Hamlet. Uh, In the past, I would have said everybody, you know, has to use, you know, whatever, you know, Google Groups or something like that. and And now um, you know I'll, I'll put a list up on the board, and sometimes I'll put some other things up there, like Google Wave and say, you know I really don't know how to use this, but you know if you want to use this as an occasion to learn it, you know play with it. that's fine. And the other day I went around the room and I said, "So what are you using? Um, and you know there were a couple groups that were using Google Docs. There are a couple of groups that are using Google Groups, there are a couple groups that are using Facebook. Um, you know, I think even a, a few other things, and so this is a this is a group that uh, at, at this point at 17, 18 years old uh, is just uh, so fluent in those media that uh, I think that will be um, the, the uh, as far as use of it, unfamiliarity with it. I think that'll be uh, it'll just be part of their. Their culture. It goes back in part to the creation of the Ning in the first place, though, because what I found was that uh, a lot of these new teachers, teachers, let's say, you know, 25 and under, uh, even 30 and under, and I don't say this critically, they don't, uh, they don't tend to go straight to Heinemann or, or you know. Or whatever, and see what books are out there on a subject. They tend to just go online and, and type in Google uh, graphic organizers and see what comes up for graphic organizers, uh, and then you know, kind of just cast about on the web. So the other thing was the idea of creating a space that was more um, more integrated uh, as a uh, as a learning environment where people could kind of develop a relationship and invest in it and, and kind of make that space there. Uh I guess you can kinda of think of it as their sort of their little professional cloud where they could uh you know, come and harvest materials and if they can't find things then ask people. Um but the the randomness, you know, and I see Carol's comment there, you know, it's a little discouraging as a writer when, you know, your twenty five year old colleague sends you a link and they say, Hey Jim, I found this great website on graphic organizers, have you ever seen this? And you think, No, but if you know, if people found that, you know, like who would ever feel the need to buy my books? <laughs> So it's a it's a translation.
0: So what are the? I'm going to have you take us through the site and kind of talk about the the ways in which you have set it up. But what have been the restrictions of things that you wish uh, would be different, or or what are
1: the capabilities you wish were there that aren't? Um, I think we're still like like the the interactivity. I mean, ideally, if you if you kind of thought of it as a complete portal. Um, when we did the professional development last summer, uh, you know, Illuminate was, was wonderfully supportive in helping us set that up and, and sponsoring it and giving us space for free and everything. I think ideally, um, you know, the, the extent to which you can design experiences that keep people in the site, uh, not, not to do that to control them, but just, you know, every time you add another link and another layer, uh, I think that that, you know, that that expands um you know, the possibilities for, for misconnections and, and things like that. Um so I think trying to integrate the space um so that we can we can work more interactively in some ways in there. Uh if you can you scroll I don't think I can I scroll down I don't see that one, I've got you to um, if you uh I think the uh the the book the book club has been Uh, a really interesting feature. That's, I think, probably the one area in which I uh, more actively exercise my connections to authors um, by being able to invite them in. And um, I knew that we began to get something going when, uh, after about our second book group, um, Smokey Daniels and Steph Harvey said, we were hoping that you'd pick our book for the book group. Um, And uh, I thought, wow, that's a big deal when I've got those people coming. Uh, you know, Donald Miller just joined. Hi, Donald. Uh, and Carol Jago is on there. And Maya, Maya Wilson, who's who's in here with us, was actually the first book group. And uh, I think it's a te- it was a great example of what makes a, a good book group because it was on uh, rethinking rubrics. And you might think like, oh wow, big hot discussion about rubrics. But you know, it, I think it showed right off the bat what makes for Good interactive discussion, um, and that is that there kind of have to be ideas that people want to contend with. So Kelly Gallagher's book read aside um, was uh, was really successful, and then Carol Jago last summer did a really kind of took us in a really interesting new direction. She wanted to run an online book discussion about uh, about just a novel instead of uh, instead of a, a professional book, and Carol made it interactive by setting up a, a, what do you call it, a poll or a survey. So Carol came up with uh, the titles that she wanted people to be able to choose from and then um, she you know, let the group choose what book they wanted to read. And, uh, and, and so I think you know, beginning to integrate those tools in ways that make it more interactive uh, is useful.
0: So from my perspective, I really wish there was a better profiling capability, sort of search and profiling, so people could find each other based on geography or special interests. Um, And I wish there were a better calendar feature. And I wish there was a better way to upload materials. Uh, Do you ever feel the same? uh, Do those ever occur to you as being areas where you wish there was better capability?
1: Yeah, I mean, I solved the, um, if you click, if you go up under Notes and Events, uh, you can see uh, uh, the EC Ning Events Calendar. If you you click on that, does that, uh, under Notes and Events, you scroll down there to, right there. So what I did is, you know, it's not a perfect solution, uh, but you can embed uh, the Google Calendar within there. So that at least gives us all a way of of showing kind of what's going on, uh, shows you which book groups are happening and things like that. And I think that becomes a useful way to, um, you know, if if nothing else for me, uh, to be able to keep track of what we've got going on. Because, you know, the book clubs are are beginning to, you know, be kind of a big deal. A lot of publishers, you know, are chasing me to try to get their books uh, considered. and, And there's, you know, different people that I'm trying to set up and coordinate. And, you know, every time I have to kind of play secretary to the Ning on coordinating people's schedules and their publishers and, and whatnot, then that's time. Uh, you know, then that's time away from you know my kids or, or teaching or, or writing or anything else. So um, I, I would agree with you on those on those features uh, in in general. Um, if you go back to the to the main page. Uh there's there's something today that I think that I did just a little bit ago that I think is a really interesting example. If you scroll down uh a little bit, um, so there's this new report that came out today uh by Sandra Stotsky uh about literature. Scroll down just a little bit more, sorry, Steve. uh and um so Sandra Stofsky came out with a report today, it's right there, the Stofsky study of high school literature, and, uh, you know, this is a big study, um, and I think one of the, one of the things that is, um, to me, this represents some of the best of the Ning, where, you know, people like myself who are attached to, you know, different things going on, um, I was you know, I was interviewed by Education Week today about this for a while, so, To bring that into the Ning and create links to it and invite them to have the conversation about a report that is important, uh, you know, regardless of whether you agree with it. Um, To me, that goes back to that kind of that founding uh, idea of trying to bring into uh, the the conversation for particularly for the newer teachers that wouldn't know about uh, these sorts of things. Uh, and to invite that conversation, I think Carol Jago, uh, who of course probably gets 25 reports a day thrown at her because she's involved in so many things, um, often will link to those those sorts of things for us and try to uh, you know enrich the conversation through those. So it's to me in this way, um, it it brings people to the conversation uh, and gives them a chance to to share their thoughts. But it also ties into the three kind of larger goals for the Ning, which is to support uh, all the teachers personally and professionally, to uh, improve their practice, and to grow the next generation of leaders. So, you know, to the extent that, that you know a younger teacher like Meredith Stewart, uh, who's here with us today, I think uh, is you know is part of the Ning and gets exposed to things uh, through this and other stuff that she's doing, and then she starts writing for journals and presenting at conferences. I'm not saying she did that because of the NING, but it's, a, you know, it's part of the, the overall professional climate for those younger teachers. Hi, Meredith. Hi, Meredith. So
0: Jim, as your network's grown grown, 22,000 is a lot of people, Classroom 2.0 is about to hit 50,000, and since both of the networks started, there's been a change in the number of places where you can go to interact. Um, how do you think the fact that the networks are growing to that size and people can interact in different, many different places has an impact on, say, where you're going to go with English Companion I mean, uh, does it, has it changed the nature of how people use the network, and are you thinking about how you may need to change the network to accommodate sort of the, the size and diversity of options?
1: Uh, it's a good question. There, there are a couple sort of you know crossroads moments that have come up. One is that we've had uh, a, a much larger number of, uh, I would say, upper elementary, like three, three to five grade, uh, uh, three to five, uh, fifth grade teachers join, which uh, is, is wonderful, and, and they can uh, create their own discussions. Obviously, since I'm a high school teacher, it started out uh, somewhat in, in that uh, more at that level, um, it uh, the the people you know like like Mike Umfrey that I saw joined very early on and who really uh, took up residence uh, and were very much a part of the conversation uh, are still there and they seem uh, to be as active as they ever were. Interesting comparison is that you know I live in San Francisco and when I first moved to San Francisco I'd never lived in a in a at the time what felt like a big city, but I think what I've come to realize over time is that in a big city you have um, like I live in the Richmond District uh, and and that even within the Richmond District which is kind of out by the Golden Gate Bridge, um, you have smaller neighborhoods within that and so I think people kind of learn to to find the parts that interest them. Um, and then I think you've seen a change, which I, I've tried to actively work uh, to to guide, um, but I think it's tough. You've seen a change, I think, in the sense that people, instead of searching and going into groups and posting into groups, people are more more defaulting to posting queries in the the forum area. And what's, you know, on the one hand, what's bad about that is you end up with a lot of duplication and clutter because then people. Uh, you know, we'll post and they'll say, "Oh, you know, maybe you have any ideas about Frankenstein." Early on, people would kind of go on and say, "Oh, there's a whole group, you know, in the the teaching text section with Frankenstein materials." But I think as time's gone on, people uh don't kind of do that nudging. I, I you know, I struggle to do it myself. So you know, you kind of get this, uh, "Oh, that that's kind of coming through again." But I've also learned uh, maybe a little bit like a, kind of a compost metaphor. Uh, I think I've also learned to realize that um, it's not bad, you know, that those things kind of come back up, that people, you know, generate new ideas and, and uh, so that it's, uh, you know, kind of aerates the, the system.
0: So I think the Department of Ed went out to tender on the creation of kind of a national or national networks uh, for educators. Um, if, if a network were millions of teachers, is it going to have the same impact that, that English Companion has had, or do you think that there needs to be this sort of ability to organize locally and small?
1: Um, I'll answer maybe a slightly different question than, than you're asking, uh, but it's it's definitely related. I was I was down in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, at the the state English teachers conference a couple weeks ago, and I was talking with a guy who had been meeting with the Alabama State Department of Education and um, and there's a lot of conversation about digital textbooks, um, you know, and, and electronic textbooks and all that kind of stuff and all the, the cost of the textbook industry. And there was very real conversation, maybe this is related to what you're asking, about creating essentially a, a national, um, you know, sort of a compendium or something like kind of a, a national database uh, of resources to which teachers, curriculum specialists, et cetera, could contribute uh, that would all be aligned with or have to be kind of connected with the common core standards. Um, I have to admit, uh, you know, I mean, in full disclosure, I work for Holt McDougall for their textbook. But, you know, I think about the chaos of something like that, of going in and searching for vocabulary strategies or handouts for um, you know, for those sorts of textbooks, with you know, based on tags and things like that, and then having to print it and run it off, or you know, display it, you know, on my projector. And there's so many ways in which it could go wrong. Um, so I think there's a tenth, there's a drift towards uh, that larger, um, you know, sort of national database. But, um, right, and and as Donald says, some states uh, like Texas are, um, you know, they're not adopting the core standards. But, uh, you know, as as the name grows, the only thing right now that I know uh, is that I'm completely committed to, uh, you know, I see my, I'm 48, so I see my relationship to it, you know, running, uh, well, let's just be generous and say for the next 40 years. Um, You know, I I see it as a lifelong commitment. what additional features will come along um, to accommodate different use, I think that that really remains to be seen. I try to keep it pretty simple because if it gets too too cluttered, then I think uh, it really becomes difficult to use and then people just blow it off.
0: So give us a quick tour here. What's the Donate tab for?
1: The Donate tab uh, came up uh, when Uh, and you started charging $600 a year uh, like $50 a month and I uh, I'd always you know paid for the whole thing myself Um, but when it went uh, and and I didn't you know I didn't mind uh, that but when it went to $600 for the year I, I basically I'm completely committed to it remaining free but i felt like people needed to be able to have a way to be able to to contribute to the maintenance of it and as we started looking into professional development and things like that the you know the possibility of costs arise so um uh, i'd like to say that i have this big giant uh, bucket of like tens of thousands of dollars that that you know we could just do anything we want but the truth is uh you know like after hitting the $500 mark, we're left with about $200 uh, in our our kitty, which is fine. Uh, But uh, it it just covers our expenses. Uh, I think people appreciate being able to to, do what they can to help out the the Amazon box with an alternative for those people who don't have a PayPal account and don't want to work through that. So just the idea of kind of helping, working with us all to to help pay for it. So... um
0: I have a, I don't use a, an active Amazon box, but when I put books up, especially for the interview series, um, I do put a link that goes into an account. I probably end up getting mm-hmm. thirty dollars, forty dollars a month from that, which surprised me. I
1: didn't expect. I mean, that seemed to me to be a lot. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not. Even, I I don't even pay that much attention actually uh, to what comes in from it. Um, but uh, also, um, you know, it's um, it just kind of all feeds into one account. But uh, but that's the donate piece. Uh, the my page piece is just kind of my my one space uh, for me to put stuff. So uh, you know, I I look a lot like Steve uh, you'll, as you'll see from uh, from my page there. Um, curriculum was an early attempt to try to link to some specific groups for. Ease of navigation, I think if you went back to, uh, you know, your concerns about the limits, Steve, I think, um, you know, navigation is always kind of a tricky one. The search function is is one, you know, I've added that other Google search box, but, you know, search remains, I think, pretty, you know, pretty weak. Um, So most of the tabs are just there to kind of improve navigation under community to be able to kind of jump straight around. The teacher jobs and EdJoin—I um, haven't actually gone to those for a long time—but the idea was uh, to create a space for, for, you know, the possibility of, you know, kind of this is a place to come to for information about jobs. Um, I, I could pay to have a feed, you know, in, in a different way, and it would be much more impressive. But I don't think we need to do that. So that's community. Um, multimedia is just you know, kind of the, the basic pieces. We have been trying with the PD to create more dedicated channels. You know, this idea with uh, SlideShare and, and, and YouTube to create specific channels so when we have PD events or, or people, you know, kind of want to be encouraged to post uh, slides, uh, then that kind of goes, uh, goes into that. Applications, I think, is, uh, is mostly chat and then the eSignning Digest. And chat, I don't know about your experience, chat has never really taken off. Um, I'm not a big chat fan. I like to, you know, kind of be on what I want to be on. Notes and events is pretty is pretty important. Uh, you know, that's where you link to the book clubs and the websites and the calendars. Uh, the FAQs was a really useful thing early on, and the Ning guidelines. Um, you know, I think the extent to which uh, you know people can have some of those questions answered, um, the EC Ning guidelines primarily uh say that you can't sell anything here, and that's I think the commercial aspect of of the the community early on uh was just a huge decision i think people people say things like they they feel safe um you know and kind of protected from trying to um you know be promoted or sold or approached uh in any way and that's something that people are very quick to tell me uh you know somebody's trying to sell me something and uh I will Sort that out. Uh, so, so the, the community guidelines have been really helpful, and then under the the members, that's pretty straight, I think. And then uh, the book clubs. Uh, it doesn't. I think it only goes till ten. Uh, but you know, you look at the, the list of people there that have uh, been involved in sharing their ideas with us. It's a it's just a wonderful group of people uh, who, who come in and run those discussions. So who wouldn't want you? Look at those hundred people—they got to, to hang out with Carol Jago for for about two weeks and have a great discussion with uh, with Carol, uh, who you know, for my money, is, is going to lead as good a book discussion as anybody's ever going to lead for you.
0: So in your uh, menuing there, what you've done is you've taken a variety of the internal capabilities of Ning and some external sites, and you've just tried to build a menuing structure that gave people some
1: variety and places to go from
0: that top menu.
1: That, but also just to, you know to try to kind of improve the efficiency. Um, I mean, the, the navigation uh, of of the place. I think you know when you. Um, the extent to which you can move around a little more quickly and find the, the places that you want, I think that's useful. Um, you know, I'll go in and uh, clean out my little note about our discussion here today. The Twitter feed, I think, is is useful. Um, you know, Other stuff shows up in there. It, it kind of cycles through. And and, uh, and again, that's, uh, I think it's useful. There's, I don't know if, if anybody else read. I, I'm sure Carol did, because Carol turned me on to The New Yorker a million years ago. But, but Malcolm Gladwell's piece, um, which you can read online on social networking uh, was really fascinating. It was primarily kind of about Twitter, but uh, you know I, I really recommend uh, everybody going on to uh, NewYorker.com and reading that that most recent Malcolm Gladwell piece uh, from the October 4th issue because he talked about uh, in large part whether or not the um, the civil rights movement could have happened through a social network like Twitter, um, and, and his quick answer is that it was something very different. That people had to put themselves on the line, and that when you hear these discussions about, you know, the Twitter revolution, ah, Meredith, you're so fast. Um, when you hear these things about the Twitter revolution in Iran, uh, his point is that 70% of the people who were tweeting were outside of Iran, and uh, and that you know it was something that they could. Easily do from their kitchen table, but they didn't have to put anything on the line. Whereas uh, when I was at the Birmingham uh, Civil Rights Museum a couple of weekends ago, looking at the images of the Civil Rights Movement, you just get this profound sense of, you know, what people had to put on the on the table. Well, so there. let me.
0: Uh, is, so I, I'm a little bit informed on this from having read a Clay Shirky response, but I think it, uh, it was interesting to me because here you've built a network with 22,000 people. They're definitely weak ties, but but don't some strong ties come out of this? And so it, isn't there room for their both being to sort of this expansive audience that maybe is not as committed, but doesn't it also open the door to smaller groups that can from within this network gather together and do things of significance?
1: Oh yeah, I mean I mean, as Carol Jago just posted there, it's not either or i mean i think uh, I think it's interesting to 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 wonder whether the civil rights movement would have used twitter and my my sense is that. They wouldn't because, of course, that would have alerted the white establishment to, uh, you know, you don't tweet out, you know, everybody meet, you know, over at the 16th Street Baptist Church, Uh, you know, don't tell the white people, um, you know, on a social network. It doesn't quite work that way. So, uh, it is different, Um, and I I, I completely accept the validity of both, obviously. You know, it's worth mentioning... um, See that before I ever did this, I had this one little background uh, in running networks, which uh, is a little more political, and it was called KateNet. And um, I don't know, Carol okay, can maybe tell me what year uh, the whole K, uh, the whole class test debacle was. But uh, the the state t- uh, test in California came under attack for uh, censorship, and uh, it was developed by largely by the Writing Project. And uh, it was a long time ago, as carol says and uh and i I first heard word about it uh, and this is you know when I had like my first a o l address and uh and so I just took sort of the eight email addresses that I had and posted out this note uh asking people whether or not they were being censored uh in their sites and um and by the time I stepped down from Cat a year ago after uh kind of having to trade over to to the Ning more full-time, uh, there were about 12,000 people on Catenet. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, very, I'm a very big believer in the uh, the political power of those networks. That was the fundamental basis for um, for Catenet. Um, but it was just a listserv, just an email, kind of moderated listserv, um, that, you know, all got filtered for me. And um, so that was a very different kind of network.
0: You know, we moved right past the normal time for Q&A, so I'm just going to ask if anybody wants to ask Jim a question, please feel free to raise your hand using the hand with the green up arrow, or post your question in the chat. And if you posted a question that we've missed, please post it again, because it's easy to have it go by. Um, Jim, so I'm wondering... Has professional development been sort of a sweet spot for social networking in education, um, and does it help us to understand how it might be used for student work, and have you seen some good examples of student use of social networking?
1: Uh, I think a lot of schools that I go to are um, they're having a tough time dealing with uh, the social network question. Um, you know, because of the anxiety, so I'll go to places where the kids have a one student one laptop program, and they're not able to, um, you know, access any of that kind of stuff uh, and, and make use of it. I think that um, I, I don't, to be honest, spend a lot of time uh, in in active online sorts of stuff uh, outside of the Ning. I think that the the mix of PD, as far as kind of a, 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 a PD event that um, people created on the Ning last summer was really interesting because it was a it was a blend of live keynotes through Illuminate, um, people making videos that they posted, which weren't live, but then they were there live to respond to and lead a discussion from that. Um, I think um, that the Ability to just use the 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 Ning itself um, as a as a professional development context to come in and look for information or simply post a query about things that people want to learn more about uh, is is profound. I, you know, I mean, the idea. Well, let me just put it this way: when I when I was a new teacher in 1989, I said, "What do I do and uh, what do I teach?" And you know, Doug Rogers, my wonderful department chair. Uh, handed me a sheet of paper with 10 titles on it and said this is what you do this year. And, um, and I was a brand new teacher and uh, you know, just completely on my own for the most part in a wonderful department. The idea of being able to come to the Ning right now uh, as a new teacher or a teacher teaching a new class and say, man, I have no idea where to start, where do I go, um, and the, the response of people to some of those people, particularly in crisis, is is never really quite ceases to amaze me on the name. People will always help those teachers to post uh, sort of urgent calls for help.
0: So Carol made a point here about calling it professional life more than, thinking of it as professional life more than professional development. So we'll use Carol's phrase there. Is there a lesson here from the professional life of educators where the social network allows them to um, sort of very proactively create their own professional life and fulfillment opportunities, Um, and now we're seeing regular educators begin to create conferences and their own larger activities and want to be a part of the of the dialogue on educational policy, is there a parallel with are we going to see a similar transformation with students where they're going to be more likely enabled to take responsibility for their own education and seek out the the things they 're interested in working on
1: i think I think that is more likely to happen. My sense would be in sort of with this, as I was saying earlier, with this, as the Gen Ys, uh, the Millennials move further into the, the field and they're just so comfortable with all that. I think that, you know, it'll, it'll like the kind of the clutter and the learning will kind of be out of the way. I would have to learn how to do some of those things and, enough that it might serve as an obstacle to me in, in some way. The the, the piece that I, that I, the other side of what you're asking, Steve, that I think is, is very, Messy and complicated, um, and has been a, a touchy subject uh, is the relationship between something like the Ning and professional organizations um, because they have overhead. They have they, you know, they have you know brick and mortar places, and they they have uh, a huge you know they, like um, you know whole conventions to put on. And as you start to look at um, the budget cutbacks, you know, across the country, and the inability of districts to send teachers and department chairs and administrators to things like AXA or NCTE or you know, the, the math the math teachers' organization, the question of um, sustainability for large professional organizations is really a complicated question. Uh, you know, I. Um, I owe so much of of my professional life and my my professional wisdom to NCTE. So I, uh, you know, I, I have times where I feel very conflicted about the extent to which uh, you know we kind of can bump up against each other a little bit, um, and sometimes I feel a little bit like um, I don't know, like the the, the blogger that's, that's putting stuff out there for free and causing trouble for the newspapers, even though that was never my intention. So I, I think you see um, professional development. Coming online uh, in bigger and better ways all the time. Sometimes for economic reasons, um, sometimes for personal choice reasons. Of you know, teachers who can't go to the conferences, uh, or they could but they can stay home and uh, you know get a lot of learning for, for free and be with their family instead. Um, so it's a it's a it's a really big transitional phase in, in some of that stuff. And I think the role of the professional organizations is a really rich opportunity for them, but they've got to figure out how to play that.
0: Fascinating, Jim. I'm reminded of my background experience with open source software which tends to replace software at certain levels but doesn't replace others. And I think uh, maybe it's not a bad way of, of looking at uh, how change takes place. There will be some things to get replaced and others that, that can't be. Okay, I really want to thank you for coming on tonight. Really appreciate your being here. We've reached the top of the hour and as always, much faster than I would have wanted us to. Thanks to Illuminate, Bing, and uh, now Blackboard. Uh, And coming up tomorrow, please don't miss Diane Ravitch if you're interested uh, or any of the future of education events. Jim, any parting words?
1: Uh, I have to tell you, I look at that list of people that you have invited me to be listed amongst, and I I, I just completely feel uh, humbled uh, to be invited to be part of such a conversation. Uh, I I loved Diane Ravitch's uh, latest book, Philip Schlechti's stuff. Uh, has been great. Will Richardson is just a, a warrior. Uh, it's, it's an amazing list to be uh, there, and uh, so on behalf of all the people on the Ning that have made it worth being invited uh, onto this list, uh, we all uh, we all thank you for uh, giving credit and recognition for our work because the Ning is, at the end of the day, uh, belongs to all of us, not to me. So thanks so much, Steve. To- well-
0: you're very generous, and thank you. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Sure appreciate it. The recording will be posted later tonight or tomorrow. Uh, do appreciate your participating. And, Jim, great to meet you and spend some time with you. You've done a terrific thing, you and your community. Take care, everybody, and have a great night.
1: See you on the morning. Thank you.